We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Craig Sebring says, I have seen Notre Dame play Navy twice, once in the Meadowlands and in Baltimore, and saw Notre Dame play Air Force in South Bend and Army at Yankee Stadium. That's interesting. Yeah, so I've seen I've seen Notre Dame play all three academies now. I saw Notre Dame play Navy a bunch. I've seen Notre Dame play Air Force. I was at the I covered the 2011 game against Air Force. I was not at the 2013 game out out of Air Force, but I saw the 2011 game. And then I covered uh, Notre Dame Army in San Antonio in 2016. So yeah, I've I've had a chance to see all three of them play. Yeah, I'll tell you one of my bucket list items. I'm not gonna. I, I, I one of my bucket list items is to go to an Army Navy game. And the only reason I am hesitant is because it's in Philly, and I don't like Philly. Uh, but uh, but other than that, I, I would love to go to an Army Navy game. Uh, here we go. Uh, Joe, just your ordinary Joe. Joe says, uh, you guys have my permission to use any super chat I ever give on a great vacation. I appreciate that very, very, very much. Christopher Jenkins says, Brian, is the O-line playing better, producing better results, less sacks, tackles for loss because it's improving or because the defenses we've playing the last two weeks are worse? I think it's both. Look, I, I I don't think look here's here's what we have to do. We have to make sure we don't make one of two mistakes. Number one, you can't you can't undersell the improvements that the line has made. It would be very unfair, and it would be very, in my opinion, um, it would be sort of confirmation bias to just dismiss any improvement they've made. They have played better. They're not giving up the mistakes that they've made. They're not letting the run throughs go. They're not, you know, just physically getting whooped the way they were earlier. They are playing better. But then you also have to look at context and say, well, it, it's not a, a complete coincidence that they happen to get better as they started playing really bad defenses. So it's both. And I think a fair analysis is going to be both. If they went and played Purdue tomorrow, they would not look like they did the last two weeks because Purdue has a much better front. Same thing with Wisconsin. They're not going to go out there and score 40 points on Wisconsin tomorrow. 
but they are getting better. And you have to give credit where credit is due. It shouldn't have taken this long. They should still be a lot better than they are. But we've asked them to get a body on a body, and that's what they're doing. They're not playing great. You know, I, I've Vince told me that that he's heard people talk about how you know they're a strength of the team now, and I, I don't see that at all. Uh, because when you watch that 91 yard touchdown run, I'm not that's not a strength to be getting blown off the ball, but to stay engaged, right? That's doing the bare minimum of success. And that's what a lot of they're doing, but they are getting better. They are. And that's why I hope they can continue to build and build and build and build to hopefully by the time they get to the postseason, they'll have enough confidence and they'll be doing things the right way to where they can have more success against a good team. But I, I think it's a little bit of both of those things. Joseph Steve says, John Garcia made a comment about a Drew Pine rumor of transferring on your show a few days ago. What do you know about that? I don't remember John saying that Drew Pine was going to transfer. Um, I, I I know nothing about Drew Pine transferring. I don't think Drew Pine's going to transfer. I don't remember John making that comment. I think we might have said something like a hypothetical, like if such and such happens. But no, I don't remember that. Um, I'll have to go back and look, but I don't have anything on that. I, I've said I don't think Drew Pine's going anywhere next year. D-Rock Irish says, my theory, BK's contract ends 2024 season. Bray, the basketball coach, contract ends 24-25 season. Swarbrick's contract, who knows? I see the three amigos riding off in the sunset together. Could happen. Could happen. Tommy Gunn says, Brian, can you explain your tweet a bit more, your response to the guy who said Clemson would be top four with Wake's 8-0? Yeah, so it was a really bad take uh, by RJ Young, who I believe works for Fox Sports. He said, basically... Uh, let me let me pull it up because I want to actually I want to get this correct. So uh, here was here was let me let, let me let me just pull up his tweet. I want to make sure that this is correct. So the people have some context. So I'm going to I'm going to share. I'm going to share his tweet. So basically, uh, RJ said if Clemson had a Wake Forest eight no record, they'd be ranked number two in the country. Uh, this college football playoff system is broken and expansion is necessary to me. This is a horrible take. This is you have a preconceived idea of expansion and you're just going to fit whatever nonsensical point you think you can make into that to, to say, well, OK, so and I've had people come back. Well, you know, if if you know, he's saying if Clemson had uh, Wake Forest same schedule. Well, my response was that it's nonsense, because if Clemson was eight, no, right now, they'd have a win over Georgia. If Clemson was 8-0 last year, they'd have a win over Notre Dame. If Clemson was 8-0 the year before that, they'd have a win over Texas A&M, same the year before. The two years before that, they had win over, wins over Auburn, plus they have to play another SEC team in, in South Carolina, right? So to say uh, if Clemson was 8-0 right now, they'd be ranked number two. Well, they deserve to be number two, if not number one, because they beat Georgia, who everybody thinks is the best team. So, and then the comment was, well, no, no, no. What he's saying is if they had Wake Forest schedule, well, that's a stupid point because Clemson doesn't schedule like Wake Forest. Wake Forest's non-conference schedule is Norfolk State, Old Dominion, and Army. If you don't want to, if you want to be a top four team, you can't schedule like an AAC team. You can't schedule Florida, Norfolk State, Old Dominion, and Army as your non-conference. And you you got Clemson on your schedule. Okay, so if they would have beat Clemson and Clemson was a legit top 10 team, then they'd be up there. But literally, they have not beat a single ranked team. And their non-conference is soft. And so Wake Forest wouldn't if, – if Clemson played Wake Forest schedule, they would be ranked lower. And if you want evidence of that, 
look at Oklahoma. Where's Oklahoma ranked? Oklahoma's ranked eighth, right? Why? Haven't beat anybody. Who was Oklahoma's non-conference this year? Oklahoma didn't play a good non-conference this year. Uh, you know, they didn't they didn't play in Ohio State like they've had like they have in the past. And and that hurt them. Their non-conference this year was Tulane, Western Carolina, and Nebraska. So guess what? They didn't they struggled against Nebraska. So they're getting dinged and they're ranked lower. A team that's been in the playoff like what four out of five years is getting dinged because their schedule stinks. If Oklahoma had a win over Georgia or a team like that, they'd be ranked higher. So you can't say, well, if Clemson did this, because you have zero evidence of that. You know why you have zero evidence of that? Because Clemson's never played a crap non-conference schedule like the one Wake Forest has played. And I don't fault Wake Forest. I don't think Wake Forest said, hey, let's schedule these teams so we can make the college football playoff. That's not that's not where Wake Forest is. They're just trying to win an ACC championship, right? So I don't, I don't fault them. And they also know to win a championship, normally you have to go through Clemson, which would give you that, that credibility to be a higher-ranked team. If Clemson was a normal Clemson team and Wake Forest beats them in a few weeks when they play, then Wake Forest would jump up into the playoff. But Clemson stinks. There's not There might not be a single ranked team on their, their schedule by the end of the year. So that's what that tweet meant was it's a horrible take. And the response of, well, he means if they had Wake Forest schedule, you have zero evidence of that. You know why? Because you've never seen Clemson in the playoff era play a schedule like that. Clemson always, always plays at least two Power Fives non-conference, always. And so you you really can't you can't look at it like that, in my opinion. And D Rock following up on what he had said earlier, uh, I've been speculating on this for a while since Swarbrick extended both coaches' contracts with them and ending around the same time. Uh, so he was referring to. Uh, to his comment earlier. Terry Howie says, Link Jared is a great coach. I agree. Johnny Jimenez says, Hey guys, would you consider yourselves old heads? I'm 35 and tend to like coaches with moxie. Showboating and celebrating is not disrespect. It's reward for being better. I, I don't know if this makes me an old head, but um, I, I've always liked coaches with moxie. I don't think that's an old person thing. There's young people that may not like that. For me, I don't have a problem with showboating and celebrating if you've actually done something. I think a problem that a lot of people have, like my dad's this way, is, is you know, if you celebrate after a 60-yard touchdown run or a big sack, I don't know many people that have a problem with that. I don't. If you tackle a guy after he gains three yards and it's not even a big hit and you get up, you know, acting like you just did something, that that's that's kind of annoying. I think that's kind of where people you know, get to. If a guy catches a ball and makes a first down signal after an eight-yard catch, you got no problem with that. If a guy gets up and rips off the you know Superman thing that people people do after an eight yard catch on a third and five, that's stupid. Uh, so I think it's context. I, I don't I don't have I don't think showboating and celebrating is disrespect. Uh, I think that it it can in itself it can be disrespectful. It's like with anything. It's it's if my celebrating is me being fired up and emotional, that's not disrespect. If me celebrating is getting in your face and doing something where I'm you know, something like that, that, that is disrespect because it's also something you can get called a penalty for. So I think it just requires, like with anything, context, you know, and and, and saying showbutting celebrating is not disrespect. It's the reward for being better. In theory, you're correct, but there are times when you can certainly cross the line. And that's where I would fall. Maybe that makes me an old head. I don't know. Uh, don't care. It's just, it's how I think. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, Thomas Lammers, what is everyone's redshirt status? I've not paid enough attention to special teams plays to see who has played more than four games. I'd have to sit down and think about that. I know Audric Estime's played more than four. I believe Kahano Kia's now played more than four. I don't know about Philip Riley. Uh, so, so position by position, Estime, Diggs, Deion Colsey, and Lorenzo Styles are all past the four games. Mitchell Evans is – I'd have to go look at his. His is one I'm not sure of. Cole Kane Barong only played one game before he got hurt. Offensive line, obviously Joe Alt is past. Uh, none of the other freshmen offensive linemen are. Defensive line, none of them. Linebacker, I believe Prince Colley is past the four. Secondary wise, I'm unsure. It would be Philip Riley and Justin Walters, but I don't, I don't, I haven't seen Justin Walters on special teams recently. I'll have to pay a little bit more attention to that. And and Philip Riley's the other one. I think Philip has played more than four, but I'm not sure on that. I'd have to go back and look on that one specifically. So hopefully that that answers your question. And obviously Tyler Buckner's passed the four. Craig Sebring, hey, love the show as always. How is the wide receiver recruiting going for 2022 and 2023? 2022 is great. I love Tobias Merriweather. Uh, I love C.J. Williams. I think they're both excellent players. Amorian Walker has some tools to work with. I, if he stays in the class, it's a really, really good class. I think it's missing a certain type of player. It's missing an after-the-catch kind of guy. I'm concerned that Notre Dame is recruiting to try to be like Clemson, and we're seeing how that's worked out for them. Uh, I think you need diversity of skill at wide receiver, and and I don't think that C.J. Williams and Tobias Merriweather are diverse enough of what I'm referring to. I'm referring to more you've got – Physical guys, you've got vertical guys. You also need the guys who can do damage after the catch. And Notre Dame hasn't had enough of that in their offense, and they need more of that, and they're not recruiting that. And that's concerning for me. Andrew Goss, uh, with Blake being as good as he is, where does Proctor go to on the line if we get him? Any, anywhere you can find him. Look, Blake Fisher should not be someone that's locked into left tackle, okay? If – if four of your best players are tackles, somebody's got to move. And Caden Proctor's not moving. And, and Tosh Baker's not moving because they're too tall to move to guard. If if 
I know some people are against this, but if the best five you can get on the field requires you to move Blake Fisher to guard, he needs to understand that. Quentin Nelson moved to guard. If Quentin Nelson can play guard, then Blake Fisher can swallow his pride and play guard. And I would imagine he'd be willing to do that if you could make the case to him that it's better for him. And the case is simple. Hey, you know who was picked the same place as Ronnie Stanley? Quentin Nelson. You know who else was a top 20 pick in the NFL draft? Zach Martin. Both of them are playing guard in the National Football League, and they're making more than any of the tackles I would imagine that Notre Dame has or will be very, very soon. So that's uh that would that would be my that would be my pitch to him. Got another super couple super chats down here. John Harlow says, Love the work you guys do. Thank you for the super chat, John. Love the work you guys do. Do you think Kelly's insistence on not bearing opponents and running up the score will hurt Notre Dame in the playoff race? Absolutely. They have to, and again, I'm not about running up the score. I'm 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 not I'm I'm an anti running up the score because to me running up the sto- score means something very specific. It means, you know, you're running with your first team offense, you're running play action throws in the fourth quarter up 42 to 10. I, that's not what I'm talking about. If you want to put your backup quarterback in the in the game and do that, that's not running up the score to me. That's letting a kid that doesn't get a lot of playing time run the offense because you don't know when his time is going to be called. That's called development. And if your defense can't stop my number two offense, that's not my problem. That's your problem. However, if I have my number two offense in the game and I'm running a reverse or a trick play, that's running up the score. Uh, if I'm going for fake fake punts, that's running up the score. If I'm up 42 to 10 or 49 to 10 and we're in a two-minute drive and I call timeout so I can get a field goal attempt going, that's running up the score. Uh, that's not – that's different. Letting your – your second team offense run the offense and get a chance to go down and score is not running up the score. It's letting them play. And and we saw them do that in 2019 early with Phil Dracovic. When they let Phil Dracovic get in the game, he was moving the team down the field. I believe he led them on a score against New Mexico and so did Brennan Clark. And then Phil led them down for scores. I think two scores against Bowling Green, at least one. Then after the Michigan game, they stopped really putting Phil in an opportunity to do that for, I think obvious reasons, but early on, and that team was scoring a ton of points in, in a lot of those games. So, you know, scored 52 nothing against BG, 66 to 14 against New Mexico. We saw them put those points on the board. Uh, I would like to see more and more of that. Anthony L, what are, thank you for the super chat, Anthony. What are your three or four favorite Notre Dame games post 1988? So for me, obviously the Sugar Bowl after the 1990 one season would be there. That's one. Oh, that's a, this is a good question. I, you know, hmm, let me think about that one, Anthony. I think the sugar bowl is definitely one. The 93 Notre Dame Florida state game would be another. I'd have to really think about this. Uh, I mean, the, the 2014 game over Michigan was a ton of fun being at that stadium, watching them just, annihilate Michigan was a lot of fun Uh, those are in the conversation I'd have to really think through there's been some really good USC wins the 2017 game over USC was one of my favorite games because they just just destroyed USC's that's and I have to think about that one Anthony I'm gonna think about that one so maybe maybe hit me up on a super chat or ask me on the message board or something like that uh but I think about that one but those are those games that I just mentioned are ones that pop in my head I don't really remember the snowball a ton, to be honest. I remember the finish, but I don't remember the game. Like that was more of a great finish than it was a great game. It wasn't really a great game. The Miami game in 1990 was a really good one. Uh, that was the game where uh, Rocket took that kickback. Uh, uh, this Craig Erickson led Miami team. That one was in there. 
so yeah, there's there's been a lot, but I, to really think about what my three or four, I have to really think about that one. That's a, that's a good question. I'd have to really really think about that one. So yeah, it's a good good question. I like those ones that that sometimes I gotta really think about to, before I can give an answer. So that's good. That's really good. Armada perspective, Brian. What happened at Our Sports Daily? You were working there and doing great, if I remember correctly. Thanks. Uh, I got a better opportunity. I got an opportunity to that was far better for my family. I went. It was just something that I couldn't pass up. It was an opportunity to go right for a uh, to me at the time a more reputable uh, place, a place that was going to be much better for me financially as as a husband. And it was an opportunity to work with Lou. And there was no way I was going to pass that up. It was just a Everything about it was better, and it was a great opportunity for me. And of course, I've always appreciated that Mike uh, Frank gave me a start, but it was just it was up to bigger and better things. And it was always working towards this goal, which was to run my own site, and that's what I'm doing. And that's why I left BGI was to the opportunity to run my own site, and this is where it was always leading towards. So, um, but yeah, I worked very very hard there. I put out I thought I put out a lot of great content, which allowed me the opportunity to to better myself and work at a better place. And then now I'm at an even better place. So thank you for, uh, thank you for asking. Yeah. You go back a long ways. If you remember me at ISD, that was quite a long time ago. Rob Didoff says, Brian and Vince, I'm calling two upsets tomorrow. And that is Michigan state loses to Purdue and North Carolina over Wake Forest. You know, Rob, as bad as I want to pick as I just, I really want to pick. Michigan State to lose to, to to Purdue. And I would love it if it happened for a lot of reasons. I just I can't I can't go there yet. And I hope I'm wrong. And my my saving my my hope is that number one, you know, I'm I'm hoping that Michigan State's really bad at defending the pass and Purdue passes a lot, but M- Purdue hasn't scored over 30 points a game. They haven't scored over 28 points in a game since the second game of the year against UConn. I just don't think 27 points is going to be enough. That I could be wrong, but I'm hoping that the the, the, the Michigan, I mean, Michigan State cannot stop the pass and Purdue's top 20 team throwing the football. So hopefully that's kind of enough to let them win the upset. Vince actually picked Purdue. And Vince also picked North Carolina. So Vince is with you on that one. I picked uh, Wake Forest to win just because North Carolina's defense is so bad. But I hope that I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong on both of those. Oh, and by the way, I did come up with that ultimate cheering guide. I'm going to put that into the chat here uh, where basically the games and the th- and things that, that Notre Dame fans need to be pulling for and rooting for in uh, this weekend's games, obviously. Tommy Gunn says, after Billy commits, can you get into more detail about his recruitment? Yes. Whenever whenever he commits anywhere, I will get into more detail about that one. Absolutely. Demetrius Rick says, can we get a lucky lefty Irish breakdown post-game reaction with all four of you guys giving your impressions? That would be amazing, even if I had to coordinate, if hard to coordinate. That's probably not going to happen. Malik and Sean have their own channel, and their show is going to help their business and we are going to do the same thing where we are trying to work with them is I I'm a believer that, that, that if there's more channels, people are not going to just stop listening to me to listen to that show and vice versa. If you like my show and you hear Sean or you hear Malik on it and you start listening to their show, you're going to listen to both of them. 
And so we've tried to get help, help them, you know, cause we've been there like starting off as a new platform and kind of doing it all by yourself. And so uh, Sean has helped us. And so we're trying to help Sean get that going, but it, it would, for them to come onto our show and do a post game with us, it would mean they're not getting the revenue from their channel. And then we would have to give them some of our revenue, which again, you start doing that and it starts making it a lot harder for us to be able to make the, the financial moves we need to make. And then they need the opportunity. That's a great opportunity for them too, to have that show because that's where a lot of people are going to be looking to find you. And so they need that exposure. So uh, we will always work together with them, but it's not in that capacity. And, and so, because when Sean comes on our show, it, he's not sacrificing going on his podcast to come on our show. They still do their show. To do a post-game show together, one of us would have to not do their post-game show. And that's just that's not a doesn't make a lot of sense business-wise. And I wouldn't ask them to do that. And they're not going to ask me to do that. So uh, it, I don't see that happening. Just listen to listen to both of them. Obviously, listen to us live, <laughs> and then they do theirs later. But um, but yeah, they they do they do a great job. I love this response. Nolan Esparza says, I'd pick running back because no way Kyron is letting anyone hit the ground. I love that. And, and you're quite right. Notre Dame 2164. Good to see you back again, buddy. So, fellas, it's Friday. I get off work in a few hours, and life is a blessing and a gift. Love my IB family and couldn't be prouder of how much this channel website has grown. Go Irish. Same here, and it's because of people like you. You're one of the OGs. You've been around here from, from the very beginning, as far as I can remember. Uh, and... Uh, we appreciate that very, very much. Ed asks, don't know if anyone has already asked, but where are we with Anthony Lucas? Is he leaning to Bama? I don't know that he's leaning to Bama. I don't know if he's necessarily leaning anywhere. Some weeks it's Oregon. Some weeks it's Miami. Some weeks it's Bama. Some weeks it's A&M. I think if anything, I'd probably lean more to A&M than I would Bama. And at times it's been Notre Dame. But right now Notre Dame is in a dogfight. And I, I would not put my money on them getting Anthony Lucas at this particular time. Connor Nepper says, Irish Breakdown, let's go. Let's take a look at possible future. Jalen Sneed, Josh Burnham, Drake Bowen, Jadarian Price, Nolan Ziegler, Keon Keeley, CJ Williams, Junior to Alamaca, Tobias Merriweather, et cetera. The list goes on Beat Navy. Yeah, they're recruiting at a very high level right now. Very, very high level. You didn't – like, and you said all the recruits I did not mention that we are getting close uh, to getting. I mean, and who you didn't mention, you didn't mention – and I mean, Eli Raritan, Olden Stace, uh, Tyson Ford, Aiden Cabrera, Jaden Mickey, Devin Moore, Benjamin Morrison. They're, they're recruiting at a very, very high level. Very high level. Craig Sebring says, I am trying to go to the Las Vegas versus BYU. Love the Holy War. Yeah, so we will we will be there. I've already started talking to Blue Wire Pods, who is who we work with to do the advertising for our show. They have started a – they have they have a uh, – place where you can like a studio for for their home studios in las vegas so we're hoping to do a show or two from there next year but yeah, we definitely plan on on going there and uh, a lot of people saying so it looks like drake bowen is a shortstop i just assumed he played outfield uh but no i'm incorrect he is a shortstop we've got a couple super chats down here i want to get to Chief Brody says the 2019 team versus 2021 team. Who do you think is better? 2021 season feels more like 2019 than 2017 or 15 to me. What do you think? I agree with you. I think, boy, it just depends on which part of that team we're talking about. 
there are certain parts of that team that are better. Certain parts of this team are better. I'd probably lean towards this team or the, the 2019 team because I feel like the 2019 team was just a little bit more explosive offensively. Uh, they were more aggressive. The line wasn't very good, but it was certainly better than this group. And yeah, I'd probably lean towards 2019, which was not a great team. And and now I think this team has more upside than that team, but this team hasn't reached its upside, which has been the really frustrating part of it. I don't think this team has been coached in a couple areas as well as it needs to be. And that's been the, 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 the frustrating thing. Jay Wiki Jr., it's a bad memory, but that Bush Push game was so epic. That was a great game. A great, great game. Domer, Texas 22. I remember a year or two ago, Notre Dame's defensive staff was targeting longer, ragier corners with more upside, like Henderson as opposed to getting more talented players. Safe to say this didn't work. No, I, I, I don't think that. I don't think that at all because – I think they're still doing that. And I think just because a player doesn't work out doesn't mean that the overall philosophy didn't work. It just means you made bad decisions on specific players. Uh, let's not forget that, that you know, Cam Hart, someone that the defensive set class staff wanted back then, it's just this offensive staff won out on that one, but he's now there, right? And the best corner in that class ended up not enrolling. Landon Bartleson was the best corner in that class. And I did not like the Ramon Henderson pickup. I didn't like the Caleb Offord pickup. They ranked near the bottom of my list of prospects in that class. I don't think the philosophy was the problem as far as longer corners. The problem was those specific players should not have been targeted. And, and look, this is where Clark Lee was not anywhere close to Marcus Freeman. Clark Lee was a great coach. He was a very good fundamental coach. He was a very, very good defensive coordinator, but he was not a good recruiter. He was late to offer kids. It wasn't a grinder. He was always looking for these like project kids that they could turn into something. Some of them they did, but then you had too many Caleb Offords and too many Ramon Hendersons, in my opinion. The problem with Ramon Henderson isn't that he's long. The problem with Ramon Henderson has always been that he just wasn't a very good football player and, and he didn't have the instincts to play the position. He's not Devin Moore. He's not Benjamin Morrison. He's not Ryan Barnes. Those are also really long players that I think are going to be very good because they're good players. So it's not the philosophy to me that's the problem. It was that they they targeted – the specific players they targeted weren't good enough. But the longer range of corners, that's still the way to go. I mean, look look what they did at Cincinnati. Ahmad Gardner, 6'2". It, that, that's what they want. I mean, that's a lot of the best corners in the game now are taller, longer corners. So I like the philosophy. You just got to pick the right guys. That's 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 going to be the key. We have another one down here from Old Grim. Very happy. Thank you for your super chat, Old Grim. Very happy to be able to, to, to be here live today. Go Irish Breakdown. And we are very happy to have you, Old Grim, very, very much. Chief Brody, uh, or tatted up Irishman with the super chat. Thank you for that. Coach, my wife and I were going to go to the game. Now she is unable to. I would like to bring my grandfather, but walking a, a ton is an issue. Any tips? Um, I would say that, number one, uh, bring a wheelchair. I did this with my grandmother when I took her to a, a game. It there's a it's, it's really easy to maneuver around campus, in my opinion, with a chair if your grandfather's willing to do it. Um, again, I had to convince my grandma to do it cause she's stubborn and, and, uh, independent, but I, there, it's, it's like, it's a really flat campus. 
Uh, it's really easy to get up on sidewalks. It's really easy to get into the stadium. There may have to be some walking to get to your seat as long as he's not like, you know, just wheelchair, has to be in a wheelchair. There it's more you need to get to the wheelchair accessible places, which are not, what I understand is they're not super easy to get to. But if he can do some walking, I would encourage you to try to go that route if you're able to. Uh, but other than that, I, I, I don't, I don't really have any any tips beyond that. I wish I did, but I just haven't been in that situation for a Notre Dame game. I've done that with like taking my grandmother to Cincinnati Reds games, and we've taken her to minor league baseball games around town uh, and been able to do that. Timeout, Tom. What's your worst Notre Dame game? Whether it's a win or a loss, mine is nineteen ninety five Army game when Notre Dame stopped them inside the five when time was running out a, in a 28-27 win. The worst Notre Dame game I've been a part of, there's it's a tie for two. Number one, Miami 28-17. Terrible. Just awful experience getting to the stadium. Uh, awful game. Ruined what I think could have been a championship caliber season if they wouldn't have just lost the edge that they had going in. The other one was Michigan in 2019, and, and, the, and, and a part of it, the worst, is because they got blown out. But the other part was just the environment. Michigan, it was cold. It was rainy. Uh, it was a miserable drive home afterwards. It was a pretty bad experience. So those, those to me, are those, are those are definitely mine. And Chief Brody agrees with me. But I'm going to wait here until I get another question because I am not ending on uh, that topic. So uh, if anybody has any more questions here before we get out of here, uh, Jay Wiki says his worst was um, the bowl game where it was Notre Dame versus Ohio State, and they kept talking about how A.J. Hawk was dating Brady Quinn's sister. That was a horrible production of a game. And, of course, Notre Dame losing was not was not a lot of fun either. But, yeah, that was a, uh, that was a pretty bad one. I'm going to try to get up to here, see if there's any. The USC no Moss game, love that one. Love that. No, no, T-Mac, I love the fact that you're using that phrase is is awesome nolan esparza says say freeman leaves does recruiting return to status quo or do you think he has set a new standard that other coaches will continue to follow it depends on who they hire to replace them i don't think that there see here's the thing you have to understand there has to be a standard bearer there has to be someone that holds people accountable to that standard and what we have seen from kelly is he doesn't hold people to that accountable to recruiting the way they need to because he's not as involved as he needs to part of the reason kelly has been more involved in the last 11 months is because of marcus freeman if he doesn't hire someone like marcus freeman if marcus freeman leaves then it's it's to a degree it's going to go back to status quo some positions will recruit what recruit well others won't it just depends on on who it is you need to have that leadership at positions, but at the end of the day, that leadership needs to also be able to determine to hire and fire people. Tommy Reese needs to have the authority to go to Brian Kelly and say, hey, this needs to change or that needs to change, even from a personnel standpoint. And and Kelly needs to allow him to do that. He didn't let Chuck Long do that. Maybe he'll let Tommy Reese do that. And then Tommy Reese needs to be able to make some of those hard decisions himself to say, hey, look, this guy's not getting it done. We need to do something about it. But Marcus Freeman is the is the tone setter. He's the trendsetter, but he also holds the rest of that staff accountable for the work that they do. And that's so important. And if they, if they, if, if he leaves and hopefully he doesn't, but if he leaves, they need to make sure that they hire someone that's going to be doing the exact same way, doing exact same things. Nate Wallace asked, do you think Buckner might get more playing time this week? I hope he does because I hope it means that Notre Dame blows Navy out. I hope that's what it means from it's what it means. Q kids 97. 
You guys put a lot of value on Elite 11 rankings. Also, I'm overreacting that Angeli didn't even make the finals. Uh, am I overreacting? Uh, I don't really care about Elite 11. And people say, well, you know, but they've had winners that have been really good. You didn't need the Elite 11 to tell you that Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence were really, really good quarterbacks. Uh, it's just like star rankings. Like uh, people, a star ranking, a five-star ranking doesn't, d- doesn't define you as a player. It just means that they identify what put like the ranking doesn't I, doesn't determine the talent. The talent should determine the ranking, but the ranking can be flawed. Uh, I don't care if a guy was an elite eleven guy. There are certain types of athletes and certain types of quarterbacks that aren't going to thrive at an elite. Phil Dracovic's never going to be great in that setting. Some guys aren't going to be great in that setting. Other guys will be. I don't care. Am I overreacting that Angeli didn't even make the finals? I, I don't know. Like to me, I, I never thought Angeli was a top quarterback. I, I don't have him as a top 15 quarterback nationally. So I'm, if I don't think he's a top 15 quarterback, I shouldn't be surprised that he's not at the elite 11. So I guess it just depends on what your expectations were for Steve Angeli going in. I, I would have actually been surprised if he made the elite 11, but at not making the elite 11 doesn't mean that, okay, it, it confirms what I thought. He's not a good quarterback. They could just be missing the boat. You know, it just, I just don't put a lot of stock into that stuff. Plus, at the end of the day, I don't really care what a quarterback does in shirts and in a T-shirt with no pass rush. I don't care. Uh, a lot of guys are accurate when they're throwing to on air. Put some guys in their face where they're getting hit and tackled and those kind of things, and then we find out who really is a great quarterback or not. Because you could point to some some elite 11 guys that have turned out to be great, and I could point to some elite 11 guys who were garbage. Ray Howley, uh, who owns Bo, uh, Bowen's scholarship, football or baseball? It would count towards football. Chief Brody, love the show as always, boys. Thank you very, very much. Tommy Guns, this is a good question. Let's say lightning strikes and the offense scores several times due to big plays during the first 15 script. Do you stay on script for the first 15 regardless of what happens? Usually you will. Usually you will continue to run your script until you're off of it. Now, the only time that would change is if circumstances in the game change. Usually if things are working well, because of the script, you're going to want to stay on it. If anything, look, I've been in games where we just, they had, we went through the first 15 and just shredded them. I'm trying to think, it was, I think it was it, was it Duquesne? I think it was Duquesne once where we literally scored three times off our script. And so what we did is just ran it through again. I mean, just because they weren't adjusting to it. They weren't, I mean, they just, they were so outmatched. We just, we just ran through it again and it worked. Craig Sebring says, coldest game I was ever at, 1989, Eagles versus Cardinals Christmas Eve. Ooh, I'm assuming that was in Philly too. Yeah, that would be, that would be, that would be tough. Jeff Luke, do you have any articles ranking the 2003 defensive back recruits? No, I don't have any anything ranking the 2023 recruits. I'm going to start breaking down their names, 2023 commits, getting those out. But that stuff will come after signing day for 2022. Once the 2022 class is in the books, I'll do more of the rankings and things like that for 2023. Jeff Perry, I've heard a couple of rumors regarding changes on the Irish staff. Are they true? If so, who goes? Is it possible that Harry Heastan would come back if the online position was open? But number one, I mean, rumors are rumors until they happen. I am skeptical that Brian Kelly would have told anybody that he was going to fire coaches halfway through the season. I think any rumors came from probably other places. Now, those could be well-sourced places, and those could be people who have a, a say in making those decisions. But I 
I just let the season play out. If Brian, if the if the offensive line keeps playing the rest of the, the way it has the rest of the season, do I think Notre Dame needs to make a change on the offensive line? Yes, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens moving forward, right? You missed your opportunity, and you've had a bad, an average to bad O line in three of your four seasons as, as a coach at offensive Notre Dame, and the recruiting has suffered, in my opinion. But that, but that's not how Brian Kelly's going to see it. And so until that happens, I'm I don't I'm not putting a lot of stock in the rumors. Plus, I don't really like the idea of spending a lot of time talking about those rumors because those rumors involve someone losing their job, someone having to go home to their wife and in certain a coach's decision, it's children and saying, Hey, you know, daddy's not daddy's got fired or daddy's not gonna work anymore. We gotta go find a new place to go. That that's not fun. And and so I don't I don't necessarily wish that. Part of my job is to say sometimes that's necessary, but it's not something I wish for. And I definitely don't want to kind of get into the rumor mill of this guy's gone, that guy's gone. I don't think that's fair to those coaches. And until we know that they're gone, it, it to me it seems like a fruitless endeavor. And the other part is Harry Heastan's not coming back as a full time coach in Notre Dame. I don't think Harry Heastan's going to go be a full time coach anywhere, but he's not coming back to Notre Dame. Him and Brian Kelly were not the best of friends. Uh, the 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 it's just, yeah, he's not coming back. Now, could he maybe come back as an analyst or in some kind of role to help? Maybe, but not as long as Jeff Quincy, a line coach. And yeah, I just, he's not coming back to Notre Dame. B-Straw asks, any word on how Blake Fisher's feeling? Apparently his rehab's going fine. He's progressing well. I don't anticipate seeing him the rest of the year, but it hasn't been completely ruled out. Some people are saying he's out for the season. That has not been officially determined. Brian Kelly said he doesn't think he's going to be back, but he's left that window at least open to a degree. Michael Johnson says, glad to see the adjustments on the O-line and the tempo. If we play like that the last few weeks, the season will look very different. Yes, I think they'll keep winning. I, I think if they would have played like that early in the season, if that's what you're getting to, yeah, I think it would be different. And that's why I'm so frustrated with why I didn't play. The, the, this is what they should have been doing all year. I, I mean, this – I don't understand why it took them six weeks to figure something out that 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 we knew for months, and it, it's frustrating. It's and it comes down to stubbornness. People say, "How how could you know this?" And they, it's stubbornness. But if you think something is your is working, and you've had the success Brian Kelly's had, you're going to be a lot less open to change. And we've seen that throughout Brian Kelly's tenure. If if he's not forced to change because of failure, he doesn't change. We've seen it time and time again, and that can that can be a that can happen sometimes when you have people who've had a lot of success in their life that they need to, they need to fail before they realize that what they're doing. Cause it's not like he said, Hey, we're going to do this and it's going to totally bomb. It's going to suck. Uh, he thought he was doing the right thing. And it, it, he's just, some people are quicker to realize that oh, that wasn't a smart decision. Brian Kelly, unfortunately, is just not one of those people. Sean Hunter says the year we played at North Northwestern, maybe 2013, it was 2014. We had a blizzard a week before. That was the coldest game I was at. Yeah, that was really cold. Yeah, that was that was one of those ones where the the sellout streak was extended because Notre Dame bought up a lot of tickets. There was a lot of empty seats in the stadium that day. Peyton. Peyton says, this isn't super broad, but can you go in depth on your excitement levels about the next two years and the recruiting coming in, especially with the new five-star linebacker we got the other day at night? Look, I think the recruiting on defense in the 22 and 23 classes is super exciting. 
and they got some kids in the 21 class that I'm excited about as well, that, that, you know, individual players, the, the secondary class was strong linebacker and D line still came up short, right? Receiver or offensive recruiting was pretty good. The couple last couple years at, at spots that I like the 22 class on offense that needs to get better on the offensive line. Hopefully they can get Billy Shrouth and do that. They need to do better recruiting quarterbacks moving forward. I love Tyler Buckner, but they, they, they need to keep getting Tyler Buckner caliber players. Uh, running back recruiting is a lot better. Tight end recruiting is a lot better. Uh, well, it's it, not a lot better. It continues to be good. They got to get offensive line back on track. But they're they're recruiting at a level now across the board, but especially on defense that we just haven't seen in a long time. And what we haven't seen is the back-to-back elite classes on defense. That's what they have a chance to do if they can finish in the 2023 class. And I believe that they will. They, I, I do believe that they will. Lucas Chapman says, I don't particularly love Kelly, but he's a great coach. He has his own moral compass, and that gains res- great respect with other coaches, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not touching that one. I'll just say I think Brian Kelly's a really good coach. I think to be a great coach, you need to be a champion. And at Notre Dame, he's not done that. And a lot of the reasons why are his decisions. And so I just – I can't go there. It's really good, but he's got to still do some things to make it great. And I – yeah, I'm not touching the second part of that one. <laughs> Jay Wiki Jr. I had I, no no lie. I had a dream. Notre Dame put up 70 on Navy. It's a sign. So therefore, I'm saying we put up 70. I hope you're right. I hope you are absolutely right. Timeout Tom says, in reference to schedule, how can the SEC teams get away with playing three soft out of conference games? Well, number one, I think that's an <clears throat> excuse me. I think that's an unfair blanket statement. SEC teams don't always play three soft out-of-conference games. Alabama has usually done that. Alabama usually plays really soft non-conference games. They played Miami this year. Miami's not great. You know, but Auburn played at Penn State this year. Uh, Auburn's a team that's always, in my opinion, played well, played tough games out-of-conference. They played Oregon a couple years ago in a, in a, in a neutral field game. They played Washington in 2018 during a time when Washington was really good. They've played Clemson and home and homes. Uh, Auburn has always, in my opinion, been a team that's played good competition out of conference. LSU has done that. LSU this past year, Georgia's done that. And Georgia scheduled Notre Dame. Georgia scheduled Clemson. Uh, uh, They've done that. LSU has played good non-conference games. I mean, the year that LSU won the national title, they played at Texas. I mean, you don't schedule Texas for a cakewalk. They played at UCLA this year. Uh, Last year, 2019, they played at Texas. As I said before, they played Miami the year before that. Uh, 2017, they played BYU. Not a great schedule. And Syracuse, not a great schedule. So that's an exception. Uh, 2016, they played Wisconsin on Lambeau Field. Got beat. That's a tough non-conference game. Uh, so yeah, I think that LSU has been a team that's tried. They've played Wisconsin twice, by the way, uh, in the last decade, TCU, a game against TCU back in 2013, when TCU was a really good football team in a, in a program that was doing really well, Washington. So I think Oregon again, I, I think that to me, Alabama is a little bit unique and Florida is unique. Florida is a team that to me has always kind of scheduled soft and they've kind of relied on, Oh, well we play Florida state, but you know, they don't go above the Mason-Dixon line. They don't play tough games non-conference, in my opinion. But that's not an entire SEC thing. There's been a lot of SEC teams that will schedule at a conference. They will, and they haven't had a problem with that. So I think 
I think a lot of times the SEC gets a bad rap for they schedule non-conference because the the premier team doesn't do that, Alabama. But I think a lot of teams in the SEC are more than willing to to play good opponents. And again, if Georgia's afraid of playing good opponents, they wouldn't have scheduled Boise State when Mark Rick was here, and they wouldn't have scheduled Notre Dame. When they scheduled Notre Dame, Notre Dame was pretty good, right? They weren't as good as they became, but they were pretty good. They've recently signed another agreement to play Clemson coming up here in a couple of years. So I think it's more of an Alabama problem than it is an SEC problem, in, in my opinion. Plus, the other counter argument to that is, right now, the SEC is a way better conference than the ACC. So if you're playing in the SEC West, you're not going to play a lot of tough games non-conference. You don't have to build up your non-conference because you have to play the SEC West. You can't say that if you're in the ACC, in my opinion. You just can't. I think the only teams that can do that are like Florida State and Louisville because they got to play Clemson. But now this is the one of those years where that game's not going to matter as much. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Actually, got a few of them. So, Ed with his $5 super chat. Thank you for that, Ed. I appreciate that very, very much. Ben Elijah with a super chat. Thank you for that, Ben. Here's the real question. Since the NCAA has went through the with the NIL deal, will Notre Dame allow EA Sports to include them in? NCA 2022 please tell me you heard yes I have no idea I haven't asked anyone on that but yeah but I would imagine I would imagine so but I I that's just a pure guess Tommy guns warm-blooded creatures make their own body heat cold-blooded creatures cold-blooded creatures need an external source thank you for the super chat and I thought that was the case but I wasn't sure Jamel Chamberlain asked, the defensive recruiting took a huge jump. Is this just Coach Freeman, or is this something you can, can see continue even if we lose Coach Freeman? Hopefully we see we are seeing a paradigm shift in recruiting. It's a great question, Ben, and I want or Jamel, and I wanted to get to this because it is Coach Freeman from the standpoint of Marcus Freeman is not has just, and I'm going to write an article on this here in the next few days, but it's it's called it's going to be called like Mid Mythbusters, Notre Dame edition, right? And it, it gets down to that Marcus Freeman and his staff have basically destroyed the myth that you can't recruit elite players to Notre Dame and skill players and all that. And the reason why is because Marcus Freeman showed up and said, I'm not accepting that. I'm not accepting that, that there aren't smart kids out there. You know why? Because he was that guy. Marcus Freeman was a top hundred guy who valued academics coming out of high school. He chose Ohio state as he's explained, because he grew up in Ohio state and his dad kind of, that's where his dad wanted him to go, but it wasn't because he didn't value academics. There's a lot of kids out there. And I've, I've hated this. I've, I've hammered this time and time again. There's this notion that, well, great players don't want to go to class. That's nonsense. And it's never been true. And it's just, you've got to be willing to fight those battles. You have to be persuasive. You have to have some charisma and you have to work your butt off to get those kids. Well, Marcus Freeman has had no problem doing that. And he's challenged Brian Kelly to expand the staff in more of a modern way to get a guy like Chad Bowden on campus and to, and to and get the offense to hire a guy like Trey Brown to help with recruiting because that's what's needed in today's era. Now, as far as can it continue when Marcus Freeman leaves, it, it can continue as long as the next coach comes in there and has the kind of engaging personality, works his butt off, and is willing to battle. What Marcus Freeman has done is he's once and for all put to put to death 
the myth that you can't recruit top athletes to Notre Dame and you can't go into the South and get top players. You can't go into the Southwest or out West and beat USC for top players. You can't go into Ohio and beat Ohio State for top players. Marcus Freeman, along with Mike Elson and Mike Mickens, have proven that to be flat out an, an absolute myth. And, and that's dead. But that doesn't mean that the next coach that comes in isn't going to say, hey, I, you know, I'm going to be, I'm, you know, the next coach may be like a Clark Lee. And if that's the case, then it's going to go back to the way it was. And that's all up to Brian Kelly. So. And then Matthew Edwards, periodic check-in to thank you guys for the great work. Cheers and go Irish. Thank you, Matthew, for that super chat. I appreciate you very, very much. And I and I thank you for the thank you. And, um, yeah, it's it's this has been a lot of fun getting to where we're going. This has been a lot more of a fun ride even than I imagined. And I thought it was going to be a lot of fun. Let's get back here. Andrew Goss, this show relit my passion for football. I love to hear that. Love to hear that very, very much. Let's get down here to some more questions. Jimmy James, where's the tailgate in Dublin going to be? I have, I wasn't there for the last game, so I don't know, but we have plenty of time to figure that out. That's the, that's the fun thing. Dan Ferry asks, what's the nicest road stadium you've been to? You know what? I, I'd have to think about that one. Um, Michigan's renovations are, are pretty good. Uh, Clemson's, to me, has a, a pretty cool road stadium. I don't, I don't know about nicest. It's not really the way that I had looked at it. I think, uh, boy, that's a that's a good one. I have to really think about that one. Not USC. Hmm. And the other thing, too, is Notre Dame plays in a lot of NFL stadiums. A lot of their home games are in NFL stadiums. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, was, yeah, I have to think about that one. I, I think the ones I mentioned are ones that pop in my head, but I'm sure there's others uh, that are, like, nice. Like, oh, wow, that's cool looking. It's clean. Like, Michigan has done a lot of renovations, and it's a newer type of press box and all those type of things. So I, that's why I threw them in there. I hate dislike Michigan very much, but stadiums, in my opinion, is, is much nicer. Yeah, D-Rock, I saw this thing about the Arizona State guy. I don't know what happened. I don't know what he said. I'm going to look into that. But that's why it's good to not be affiliated with the university and you kind of do your own thing because if, if you start working for the university, you're not allowed to be critical. You're, it, like, let's say Notre Dame hired, you know, partner with Irish Breakdown to provide analysis of the team. You think they're going to they're going to continue that analysis if I'm being critical of play calling or saying Kelly did a bad job? Heck no. So I'm going to have to look into that one. That was, that was pretty pretty interesting. T. Stewart, I think the Irish are better off in a New Year's Six game than the playoff this year. I just don't see the talent to win at all, and another embarrassing loss might hurt recruiting and commitments. I, I, I guess I just don't see – if they do what they need to do to get into the playoff, it means they've improved in the areas that they're not great at right now, and I think they can compete. And, th again, this is not your typical Georgia, Bama, Ohio State teams. They're just not. And Notre Dame should be able to play with those teams. But here's the other thing, too, T, is – it's not a guarantee you're going to get to the a New Year's Six Bowl and get a team that you are just going to be better than. Depending on what happens, like, look, if Alabama gets beat by Georgia or Auburn, you may get Alabama. I mean, depending on how it all shakes out. I mean, you just don't know. I don't know if it's a guarantee that you're going to get a team that's not going to be just as good as those playoff teams uh, in, in the New Year's Six. So it's not like Notre Dame's going to get a New Year's Six Bowl and just stomp whoever they play. Because if they were that good, that they're just going to stomp whoever they're going to play in the New Year's Six Bowl 
then they're good enough to be a playoff team, in my opinion. So that's kind of why I've never really loved uh, loved that. Scott, you're a big, sorry if I asked this before. Would you be in favor of expanding the four-team playoff? So, Scott, I am uh, I'm going to put an article down here. I've actually done you, so. So you're. I'm just let me let me find this. I did a, an article in a show this summer that talked about this subject. And so I'm going to put, I believe this is the one that I did that is the most updated, but I also did a podcast on it. I interviewed uh, Bill Bender from USA Today. We talked about it, but I have a format that basically ties in the bowl games. uh, And I just put in the super chat down below. I, I would, the format I would use, I'd stay at four. What I would do is I would make the bowl system tied in. The, I'd go back to the old bowl tie-ins to a degree. So you have your Rose Bowl, and you can make it to where if the Big Ten wants their own bowl, they can have their own bowl. If they want to stay in the Rose Bowl, they can stay in the Rose Bowl. But essentially, you've got the Rose, Orange, Sugar, Fiesta, Cotton, and Peach. And then you have each conference has their, buy, their, their tie-in. So like for the purpose, the example that I used, I gave the Big Ten their own bowl. I gave them the Cotton Bowl. So the Pac-12 winner gets the Rose Bowl. The ACC winner gets the Orange Bowl. The Sugar Bowl is to the uh, SEC winner. The Fiesta Bowl is to the Big 12 winner. The Cotton Bowl is to the Big 10 winner. And then the Peach Bowl goes to the best group of five team. And then after that, those six opponents are all determined by uh, sort of the college football playoff ranking, right? So uh, you get those matchups and then you say, okay, you play those bowl games. And then from those bowl games, you've got your four. And so what what I think that does is that gives more teams an opportunity to be in the college football playoff without setting a certain 8 to 12 number because it's not always a given that there's going to be 8 to 12 playoff teams. I mean, Notre Dame could be a number – here's an example. People are thinking Notre Dame is going to be a top 7, 8 team, but they don't want them in the playoff because they don't think they can compete with those teams. Why? Because there's usually a pretty big difference between numbers 1 to 2 and then kind of 3 and 4 and then from after that. There's usually no more than 5, 6 at the most. But so what you've done is those five or six teams have a chance to go compete. So, for example, a year that I felt that there were a couple really good teams that had a chance to be playoff teams is you go back to 2018. And you had you had that was a year where you had Ohio State was 12 and one. They were six. And then you had 11 and two Georgia who had lost a really close game to Alabama in the SEC title game that that was ranked number five. And a lot of people that year argued that Ohio State should be in. A lot of people argued that that Georgia should be in. If you remember correctly that year, Georgia lost at LSU and then lost to Alabama. They had two losses, but a lot of people felt they were one of the four best teams. Well, the way that the matchups would have worked that year, and a lot of people didn't think Notre Dame was that good, you'd have had in the Rose Bowl, for example, Washington, who was number nine against number three Notre Dame. You'd have had number two Clemson against number 11 LSU, number one Bama against number 12 Penn State, number four Oklahoma against number 10 Florida, number six Ohio State against number five Georgia, and then number eight UCF against number seven Michigan. So, and that was a year also a lot of people thought Michigan should have been in it. So you look at it and say, okay, you've got your four, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. Well, if you you got to play those games out. If they all win, then, then they're in, but they've earned it, right? But if Notre Dame gets upset by Washington or, or LSU knocks off Clemson or Penn State beats Bama, not happening, or Florida beats Oklahoma, because a lot of people didn't think that the Oklahoma was that good that year. I think they were. The Kyler Murray team was pretty good. But you look at it and you say, okay, well, you, you, Georgia and Alabama, Ohio State are going to play in that 5-6 game. 
guess what Ohio State and Georgia fans are going to be doing? They're going to be watching the Rose Bowl, hoping their name gets beat. They're going to watch the Orange Bowl, hoping Clem- Orange Bowl, hoping Clemson gets beat. Sugar Bowl, Alabama, it goes on and on and on. So what it does is it, it, it restores some of the greatness of the regular season because now if you're a, a you know team going to the Rose Bowl, you're tying to the Rose Bowl, you don't really care as much about the playoff because you got to get to the Rose Bowl first. And so I think it, it restores that. It makes the bowls matter more, in my opinion. There's now six bowls that are going to impact the college football playoff, potentially. And some of the matchups you see in these past years were, were great matchups. And every year, so in 2017, there's number five Ohio State against number seven uh, Auburn. Well, you know, again, you just need one of those teams ranked ahead of you to, to get upset and you've got your chance. Or you're number five, the number four team, you know, let's say, for example, in 2018, number four, Oklahoma, who had a loss, goes and plays number 10, Florida. Let's say Oklahoma wins, but it's a really close, ugly game. But Ohio State plays Georgia and Ohio State at number six just blows Georgia out or vice versa. Now there's a chance in the bowl game to then leapfrog, but you're doing against an, another conference. So it's not like you're just playing in conference. I, I think that would be the best way. And then you pick your four from that. The committee would be the one slotting these games. Uh, and then like the lowest seed gets the, the highest seed gets the lowest of the 12 and then two and 11 is as much as you can fit, depending on you know who the conference winners are. I think that'd be the best way to go. And I think that would, would be just a, a ton of fun and would make a ton of money. I just don't think they have the foresight, in my opinion, to, to make that decision. Mule Skinner says, until I see the Irish dominate a good defense, I'm not sold on the O-line improvement. I, I, look, you cannot be sold on it, but I, I can watch. You need to be able to break down film and say, hey, look, they're using their hands better. They're being more assignment correct. They're t- playing with better angles. That's not dependent upon a good team. You're either doing that or you're not because – they weren't doing those things against Toledo and Toledo's not good. You know, they weren't doing those things against Florida state and Florida state's not good. They're doing things better. They have improved. What they are not is a great line or anything close to that. That's where I would disagree with people at this point in time. Bronx ND fan with a good question. Do O-line recruits look at this coach and the performance this year and think they can make a difference or run away and go to another school? Not running away. They're not impressed. Uh, many aren't, and that started really before the season, to be completely honest with you. But yes, O-line recruits will look at the performance of this line, and it will factor in. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily, they're still not going to come. They still may pick Notre Dame, but it does have a role. At that position, more so than others. Jamel Chambers says, Alabama scheduled Florida State when they were supposed to be good. They ended up not being good, but they did, and then Michigan in the last few years. Here's the difference, though. Those are rare. They played Michigan back in, what, 2012? They played Florida State. That's a good one. But again, number one, those are all neutral field games. They don't play at places. LSU has. They played at LSU. They played on a neutral field but it, against Wisconsin, but it was in Wisconsin. They've played, uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, they played at, uh, Auburn's played at Clemson. Uh, Georgia's played at Notre Dame. They've played at Clemson. The last time that I remember Alabama playing a, a good non-conference game on the road was, I think, Penn State in 2011 when they were going through their stuff. That's a big difference than what those other teams are doing, and it's rare. I mean, other years, Alabama's, you know, you can point to, in the last decade, you can point to those two games, sure, but then I can also point to the fact that this year they played Miami. Miami hasn't been good in a while. Uh, 2019, they played Duke. 
Duke, Louisville the year before that. And when they scheduled them, they, there was clearly, clearly uh, that Louisville team was not going to be a great team. There was They weren't going to have Lamar Jackson, obviously. Uh, 2017, they played Florida State. That was one where Florida State had been a good team in years prior. I don't think they could have known that Florida State was going to collapse the way that they did. The year before that, they played USC. USC had been a decent team, but again, neutral field game in Texas. Uh, played Wisconsin the year before that. Eh, you know, when you're Bama, West Virginia the year before that, nope. Uh, Virginia Tech the year before that, nope. I mean, they're just consistently Michigan the year before that. But, hey, let's not forget, too, when they scheduled Michigan, Michigan wasn't exactly a juggernaut program, right? I mean, that was that was the, you know, that was the, uh, the Brady Hoke, Rich Rodriguez era. You know what I mean? So I don't know if, I mean, they had gone 11 and two the year before, but I think the game was scheduled before that. That, that was that was not a good that was not a good Michigan era. So I mean, you could point to the exception, but the exceptions don't define the rule. The rule has been Alabama A doesn't consistently play tough non-conference games, and B they won't do it on the other team's home field. And usually, when you play, it's you're playing in their backyard, not the other team's backyard. Uh, so it, I just I have no respect for that. Let's get to a couple more here. We got uh, Bob Sacamano. Let's go get a W. Have a great weekend, all. I think that's a great, great, great way to end this one. Ezekiel Robinson, big ups, another great podcast. Thanks. I think those two are great, great ways to end the show. So I appreciate everybody being a part of the show today. This was a lot of fun. I I'm, I'm appreciate all y'all sticking around a lot later. Hey, listen. I still have two Navy tickets. So if anybody wants tickets to the Navy game this weekend, um, hit me up, right? If you if you want to definitely get them, then you just go get a – I haven't had anybody do this yet, but just go sign up for a annual membership to irishbreakdown.com, and uh, I'll shoot you an email and get you those tickets. Uh, but also just people who maybe if you, if you already are an Irish breakdown member and you'd like to get two tickets to the game and you email me first before somebody else signs up, uh, I'll, I'll do that too. So just, if anybody's looking for it, just let me know. I have those two tickets. It's the two that I bought for the game. So, uh, so just let me know. All right. If someone's looking to go to the game, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell. So that way, when you, when we do a show, you'll be notified in advance that we're going to do the show. Check out the Irish Breakdown message board at boards at irishbreakdown.com. Look, we've grown enough to be able to hire people, but I want to hire more and more and more. I want to really grow this thing, and that requires people to really, really dive into what we're doing. So uh, be a part of our message board. Come join us. You don't have to be a part of the message board like, hey, I don't post on the message board. But if you want to support us, we have a booster club option where you're just helping us out, right? There's people that have given us that. And they're not on the message board. They're just trying to help us grow. And we appreciate it. It's very, very much appreciated. And those type of things help us to continue to grow and make sure that you have a better product and you have better content. So um, I really appreciate it. So that's going to do it for today's show. We'll be back tomorrow after the game. We'll have our post-game show. And then, of course, Sunday night, 8 o'clock, we will do our upon further review. So everybody have a great rest of your Friday. Enjoy the game tomorrow. We will talk to you tomorrow for our post-game show. Enjoy it. Hopefully the Irish get a W. We'll talk to you all again very, very soon.